We're in Exodus chapter 28, and as I said, we, we study verse by verse. We're going to study this whole chapter this morning, and we're going to see that this chapter is on the priestly garments, particularly the majority of it is on the high priestly garments. And as we come to a text on clothing and garments, as many of the other texts that we've looked through in Exodus, maybe your first thought is, come on, do we really need a text on the garments of the high priest, even down to the level of his undergarments? Do I need to know about this? And the answer is yes. According to Paul, according to Jesus, according to the New Testament writers, this is so relevant and important for our lives. In, in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, Paul says that everything that was written formerly was written for our instruction, and then he calls it Scripture. He, he's talking about the Old Testament, that it was written for our good, for our instruction, that this is valuable, even here and now, right here, wherever you're at in life. In Luke chapter 24, verse 27, Jesus, after his resurrection, encounters several disciples. And on the road to Emmaus, they're trying to figure out who Jesus was and is and did and what his resurrection means. And Jesus pauses and he interrupts them and he takes them back to, it says, Moses and all the prophets. And how Moses and all the prophets even Exodus chapter 28, points to him. And so this morning, it's important for us to study this. Clothing is throughout the Bible. If you, if you look, you can see it in Genesis, as early as Genesis chapter 3. What happens after the fall? Aaron, Aaron the priests here, we're in our text. Adam and Eve cover themselves with fig leaves. They concoct a covering. And it's an insufficient covering. And what does God do in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21? He provides them a better covering, the covering of animal skins before they're removed from the garden. You can look in the Old Testament. You can see Joseph in the multicolored coat. You can see in the New Testament the hem of Jesus' garment, the long robe of the Pharisees, the cloak that Paul asked for. Clothing is throughout the Bible, a reference throughout the Bible. But there's only one set of clothing that gets four chapters in the Bible, Exodus chapter 28, 29, 39, Leviticus chapter 8, and that's the high priest clothing, the high priest garment. So there is something to this. There's something significant that we need to see this morning. We need to understand and we need to know for the right here, right now realities of our lives. As we study this text this morning, we're going to see first what the clothing, the high priestly garments communicated to the to the, to the people of Israel and to the world, really, to us. And then we need to see what it achieves, because it does achieve something. It achieves something for Aaron, the high priest, and it achieves something for the people. And all of that will lead us to how the high priestly garments point us to our true and better high priest and the true and better garments that he provides for us. So let's first look at how, what these garments communicate. Scholars in the, of, of ancient Near Eastern studies look at how things are communicated. And, and when they do, in a, in a time, in an age when writing and reading were not as prevalent, they argue that stories and art, and especially clothing, even clothing, are used as tools to communicate something profound. And that is absolutely true here in this text. In verse 2, there's three words that are used to describe the garments that are being described and prescribed by God. Verse 2 says, and you shall make holy garments for Aaron, 
your brother, for glory and for beauty. Holy garments for glory and for beauty. Holy garments. These, the word holy means to be set apart. We've looked at this word before in the book of Exodus, but it means to be set apart specifically for something, for a purpose, set apart unto God, for his divine purposes and for his divine use. And then there's the other word, glory, and that word means weighty. The, the, the garments here are describing holiness and weightiness, that, that they're being used to communicate holiness and weightiness, the holiness and the weightiness of the very presence of God. And then the last word, beauty, that means majesty and splendor, that the garments themselves are used to communicate something about the holy, weighty, beautiful, magisterial presence of God. And they're being used to mark out Aaron as distinct and set apart. So they're used to communicate God's presence, but they're also used to communicate the distinction, the uniqueness of Aaron as their high priest. And make no no mistake, this is throughout the text, and this is very clear in the text. When you read the text, all of chapter 28, you'll come across five different times it mentions gold, purple, scarlet, blue, and fine twined linen. Those things, those five things are mentioned five different times, repeated five different times. Where else is gold, scarlet, purple, blue, and fine twine linen used in the tabernacle? It's used in the Holy of Holies and the most holy place. It's used for the interior of the tabernacle. It's used to describe the holy, weighty, beautiful nature and character of who God is. And here, that material is being used to make garments for Aaron. In other words, Aaron is being marked out, set apart, made distinct as the high priest, and he is to match the interior character and nature of the holy of holies, the presence of God. If you read in Job chapter 37, verse 22, it says, God is clothed with awesome majesty. Psalm 104, 1 to 2. God is clothed in splendor and majesty, covered in light as a garment. It's only fitting then that his high priest is also clothed as he is. And that's exactly what's happening here. The, the same interior materials that set apart the holy place are placed on the high priest. And again, this, this makes Aaron distinct in so many ways. It raises all, it raises the attention of Aaron. It raises, it, it, it encourages, it begs everyone, turn your eyes towards Aaron. Aaron is significant. The high priest, look to the high priest. Put your eyes on the high priest. The high priest is high and holy and glorious and beautiful and full of splendor and majesty. Look to the high priest. These garments are so unique and distinct. They mark Aaron out from all the people of Israel. They mark him out from all the other priests of Israel. And Russ read the last part of the chapter in verse 40 down to 43. The, the other priests don't receive the detail, the beauty, the gold, the purple, the, the scarlet, the blue, the fine twine linen. They receive white robes and sashes and turbans. But they don't receive this. It marks Aaron out from all of the people of Israel, from all the other priests of Israel. It marks Aaron out from all the rest of the ancient Near East. 
Egypt and Mesopotamia had no, no priest that compared to this. No priest wore these kind of garments. Their priest only ever wore white robes. But here, Aaron is receiving more than white robes. He's receiving this perfectly blue, beautiful robe. He's receiving the ephod. We have a picture here of all of the different parts that, that are described in the text. It, these are robes of royalty. These are colors of a king. Aaron is not like the rest of the people. Aaron is not like the other priests. Aaron is set apart, unique, distinct, consecrated from the rest of the people for God unto him. He represents royalty and the priesthood and all eyes should be on him. All attention should be given to him. And this makes several things immediately clear to the people. Only the one who matches the holiness, the glory, the beauty of God can enter. Only the one who matches in color, in, in material, in, in, in character, in nature, in splendor, in beauty, in holiness, in weightiness, only that one can enter into the holy of holies and the presence of God. The other thing this communicates to everyone if we're paying attention, there's only one. There's only one among all of Israel. There's only one among all the priests. There's only one among all of Egypt and Mesopotamia, the ancient Near East. There's only one who carries that kind of holiness, who carries that kind of beauty and splendor and majesty and weightiness. There's only one who can enter. The rest of the people, if they're hearing this, if they're paying attention, they know immediately only Aaron can enter. Only the high priest can enter. He is so unlike us. We are so unlike him. We are not him. He is distinct. He is unique. He is holy, weighty, beautiful, glorious. He is full of splendor. We are not. We can't enter. That's what they're hearing in this moment. We don't even get the white robes of the other priests. In other words, we're unclean. We're impure. We're not royalty. We're not perfectly clean. We're not set apart. We're not beautiful. We can't. Our characters and our nature do not match the interior of the Holy of Holies. Our character and nature does not match God. Only the high priest does. And here's where the good news, unbelievable good news of this text comes in. For them, we can't enter, but our high priest can. And according to the text, their names are engraved in stone on his shoulders and on his breastpiece. In 12 stones. In other words, we can't enter. We're unclean, but he's not he can enter and he's carrying my name into the presence of the holy God. Israel, if they're hearing this, are instantly devastated and then instantly rejoice. We're not forgotten. We're not forsaken. We are unclean, but our names are brought before God. Our names are on his lips. Our names are on his ears. Our names are on his mind. And this leads us to what the garments achieve and accomplish. That's what they communicate to the people. 
Now we need to understand what they achieve and what they accomplish. Verse 3 gives us a hint first of what they accomplish for Aaron. You shall speak to all the skillful whom I have filled with the spirit of skill, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him for my priesthood. You're familiar with the phrase, the question, does, do the clothes make the man or do the, does the man make the clothes? This is a clear instance where the clothes are making the man. This is a clear instance where the clothes are doing something. They're achieving something for Aaron. They're accomplishing something for Aaron that is not naturally his. They are consecrating him. Have the, those with skill, the skillful, and whom I filled with a spirit of skill, make Aaron's garments to consecrate him. Consecrate is the same word as is holy. It means to set apart, to make him set apart, to mark him out, to make him di- distinct from all the rest of the people. In other words, the clothes achieve something and accomplish something for Aaron. The outward design communicates not what Aaron is, but what he's made to be. In other words, Aaron is not naturally holy. Aaron is not naturally beautiful. Aaron is not naturally set apart, not naturally distinct, full of majesty, full of splendor, full of weightiness. Aaron is not this, but his clothes that God gives, the garments that God places on him, make him this. We know this just by reading the text, but we know this by elsewhere in the scripture. We know Aaron He's supposed to be holy. He's supposed to be set apart. He's supposed to be, carry the weighty responsibility of his task. He's supposed to carry this burden. He's supposed to be set apart, beautiful, magisterial, weighty, and holy. But we know from the text that he's not. Aaron is of the tribe of Levi. The, the Levitical priesthood comes from the tribe of Levi. And who is Levi? Genesis chapter 34 tells us that that Levi is a person that rather than trust God and his vengeance and timing, takes vengeance into his own hands and pours out his wrath and kills a man. We know from the text four chapters from now, Aaron is going to lead the people of Israel into sin and idolatry to worship a golden cow. We know Aaron's not perfect. We know Aaron's a man just like us. We know he's sinful, he's unclean. We know that he is not holy and not set apart, which makes it all the more clear what is being said here in verse 3. It's why he needs the garments that God provides. It's why he needs the covering that God provides. It's why he is made holy or set apart or consecrated by the garments. It's not what Aaron does. Aaron's not concocting this. Aaron's not trying to cover himself. Aaron has nothing to cover himself with. It's not his performance. It's not his past perfection. It's not his moral performance. It's not anything he brings to the table. God is making Aaron holy in this moment by the garments he provides. God clothes Aaron and made him holy and righteous before God. God made a way for Aaron to be acceptable and holy before him. It's the garments God provides. And that leads us to how the garments, that's how it consecrates Aaron and sets him apart, but they also achieve and accomplish something for the people. Not just for Aaron, but also for the people. 
We see this in a number of different ways in the text. First, their names are engraved on these garments. This is unbelievable. Verse 9 and 10 says, You shall take two onyx stones and engrave them on the names of the engrave the names of the sons of Israel on them. Six of their names are to be on one stone, and the names of the remaining six on the other stone in order of their birth. And then how are they engraved? It says that in verse 11, they're engraved as a jeweler engraves signets, signet rings. They're, they're, as a jeweler takes the microscopic, detailed, painstaking work and intentionality and carving on each, on these stones, all six names on one and all six names on the other with great intricacy, and with great detail. They're engraved in stones, in rare jewels. Then in verse 15, make a breastpiece in the style of the ephod of gold and blue and purple and scarlet yarns, fine twine linen, there it is again, and set in it four rows of stones. And listen to the stones, sardius, topaz, carbuncle. I made a joke about carbuncle earlier. It's a red jewel. Those nurses in the room also know it's something else. It's not pretty. Emerald, sapphire, diamond, jacinth, agate, uh, amethyst. Beryl, onyx, jasper. And then what happens with these stones in verse 21? There shall be 12 stones with their names according to the names of the sons of Israel. They shall be like signets. There it is again in great detail engraved with each name of of the tribe of Israel for the 12 tribes. They're not embroidered. They're, They're not sewn in. They're not written in. They're engraved in stone. Their names are engraved on these stones on the priest's shoulders and on the priest's chest. And what does the text tell us? What does he do with those names? He carries them on his shoulder, shoulders and he carries them close to his heart. Verse 12 says, set two onyx stones on the shoulder pieces of ephod. Verse 12c says, and Aaron shall bear the names before the Lord on his shoulders. Four different times in the text it says that he bears something. Bears means to, to carry, to carry along. He's bearing them, he's carrying them along on his shoulders. Four different times. Twice it says their names One time it says the name of Yahweh in the gold piece that's on his forehead. And the fourth time it says that he bears their guilt. Aaron is bearing their names on his shoulders. And what does he do with these stones? He's bearing on his shoulders and on his chest and close to his heart. He carries them before the Lord. This is where it's just... It's staggering, the detail and how this has been here for all of these years and centuries for us to read, and yet it's standing right here and we miss it because we ignore texts like this. Their, their names are engraved in stone. They're on his shoulders. They're on his chest. They're close to his heart. And what does he do? He carries them before the Lord, before God's face, before the throne, into the holy of holies, Why does it matter that that they're engraved in stones? Why are we given the the 12 stones that are described here? And Why does it matter that he carries them on his shoulders and carries them close to his heart and it says that he carries them in to the presence of God? In Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13, nine of the 12 stones that are listed here were originally in the Garden of Eden. God is telling Moses to tell the priest, picture what's happening here. 
to engrave the names of his children on, his, on the priest's shoulders and on the priest's chest and carry them on his shoulders and carry them close to his chest. And which direction is the priest entering the tabernacle from? He's entering it from the east. He, they were, where is Adam and Eve sent after the fall? They're sent to the east. They're sent out of the garden to the east and the priest is bringing them back in. Written on garden stones from Eden back into the presence of God, back before the face of God. He's bringing them before God, back to where sin does not exist, back to where they are reconciled and redeemed and restored in the very presence of God, back to where we were all intended to live and dwell, before his face, in his presence, Here, the priest is is carrying them. And what does the text say? It says, for remembrance before the Lord. He's carrying them on his shoulders and close to his chest, engraved in stone, before the, the, the God of the universe. And it says, for remembrance. It says that three times in the text. What what's the priest doing by having them these names before God? Here, here, these names. Look at these names before God. He's saying, These are your children. These are the names of your children. These are the names of your people. These are the names of the people you entered into covenant with, that you promised to be faithful to, that you promised to keep covenant with, that you promised to be true to. These are your people. He's holding up the names of of his people before God. But let's really ask a question that's important here. Does God actually need a reminder? He's the omniscient one. He's the one that knows everything. Why does he need the reminder? It's not explicitly for his reminder. It's for theirs. The, holy, the high priest is holy and set apart and distinct and different. We are not him. He is not us. We cannot enter. But the high priest can. And he's bringing my name before God. My name is going with him. My name is on his lips. My name is on his ears. My name is is before him on his shoulder and close to his heart. More importantly than all of that, my name is before the throne of God. My name is on the eyes of God. My name is on the mind of God. My name is on the ears and lips of God. The covenant that he entered into, the promise of faithfulness, my name, he's remembering me. He has not forgotten me. How do I know that God loves me? How do I know that he hasn't forgotten me? How do I know that he cares about me? How do I know? He knows my name. My name is ever before him. My name is ever on his lips and ever on his mind. This is unbelievable good news for the people of Israel. So the garments make the high priest holy and glorious and beautiful. And they also make the the people holy and glorious and beautiful. Mark them out as holy and glorious and beautiful. And they enable them to enter into the presence of God. These unclean, sinful people, their names are before God. If, if you're wanting one more piece of evidence, one more further piece of evidence that this is what the, the garments are doing, that they're achieving something for Aaron and for the people, we need look no further than the gold plate that's on Aaron's forehead. One of the other things that they are, that's described here is that they are to make a turban for him and put on it a gold plate and inscribe on it, holy to the Lord. That felt very spiritual at that moment. That was... Holy unto the Lord. 
they're described. It's described as being written wholly unto the Lord. Aaron is wearing this on his forehead. It is marking him out. It says, holy unto Yahweh. It is, he is Yahweh's. He belongs to Yahweh. He is marked by Yahweh. He stands, he can stand before Yahweh because Yahweh's name is on him. And in the text, we say, okay, well, Aaron's marked. Aaron's made holy. Aaron, Aaron has Yahweh's name. Yahweh's name is on him. It, it, Aaron's name is clearly before Yahweh, and Yahweh's name is on him. But where is it that, that the people are marked by Yahweh, that they receive his name, that they receive his holiness and cleansing and, and set apart sacred nature? Verse 37 gives us a first inkling of this. It says, It shall be on Aaron's forehead, and Aaron shall bear, carry, any guilt from the holy things that the people of Israel consecrate as their holy gifts. In other words, follow this. Aaron is wearing the name of Yahweh, holy unto Yahweh. They enter, they make their sacrifices in the outer court on the altar. The blood is shed. Aaron takes up that blood. The the sacrifice and the blood shed is for their sins. He takes up that blood marked by the name Yahweh with Yahweh's name on him, with their names on his shoulder and their names on his chest. And he takes that blood of sacrifice and enters in before the the holy, weighty presence and glorious, magisterial presence of God with that sacrifice, and he makes atonement for sin. And then what he does is he exits. He went in with their sin, and he receives, he assuages the wrath of God. He receives the holiness of God and the grace of God. He's not crushed. He's not destroyed. Neither are they. And he turns with that grace and goes out of the tabernacle, marked by the holy name of God, to bestow that grace and to bestow that name on the people. There's an amazing, immense, extraordinary exchange that's happening here. He receives their guilt. He enters into the presence of God. They receive the holiness and the grace of God, and he comes and he bestows that on them. You say, okay, where's that in the text? Where does he bestow the holy name of Yahweh and God's grace on them? It's not explicitly in this text. It's in Leviticus 9.22, and it's in another text that we're all familiar with. In Leviticus 9.22, it says that he does this. He enters in, the wrath of God is turned, the grace of God is poured out. He turns, he exits, and it says, it just simply says, and then bless the people, which is great. That doesn't tell us anything. What does he say? What is he blessing them with? What's he saying at that moment? He exits and he blesses. Well, a text that we're all very familiar with, because we say it at the end of every one of our services, is what he says. Numbers chapter 6 Verse 24 to 26, the priest, Moses, is told by God to tell all of the priests when they bless the people to bless them this way. And what does he say? Notice the text. The Lord bless you and keep you, which is to say protect. The Lord lift up his grace upon you and be gracious to you, which is to extend his grace to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, to give you his peace. But notice what's repeated three times. The Lord, the Lord, the Lord. That's the name of Yahweh. Yahweh, Yahweh, Yahweh. The, whole, the Aaron is to walk out and to pronounce 
the name of Yahweh and to bless the people. In other words, to extend the name of Yahweh. And notice what verse 27 says. So they shall, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel. So shall the priest put the name, my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. Holy unto the Lord, holy to Yahweh, Yahweh's people. And that's how Israel is called throughout the Old Testament. They're called God's people. They're my people, called by my name. They are Yahweh's. So these, these unclean people covered, the Old Testament says, with filthy rags, which have nothing to bring and nothing to offer, only by God's grace through their high priest who bears their guilt and bears their name, who carries their guilt and carries their name into the holy presence of God, who then pours out his grace. And what does the high priest do? Pour out that grace on the people. The garments consecrate both Aaron and the people. The garments make the high priest holy, glorious, and beautiful, and they bring the people into the holy, glorious, and beautiful presence of God. And they mark the people as his holy, glorious, and beautiful people of God. That leads us to our last point and how the garments point to our true and better great high priest Jesus and the true and better garments that he gives and the true and better name that he bestows on us. We, we, we end where we started. Clothing is mentioned throughout the Bible, but only the high priest's garments receive four chapters. And it is four extremely intricate, detailed chapters. Seriously, down to the level of the thread, down to the level of the, the dye, down to the level of the undergarments. And this is communicating something profound if we have ears to hear and eyes to see and hearts to receive. It's communicating something profound and significant that we all desperately need to hear. They need to hear it and we desperately need to hear it. It's communicating that there is a specific way the high priest must enter. There's a specific way the people may enter God's presence. There's a specific covering that he must wear and they must receive. It is a narrow way, a specific way. There is only one way. The people cannot clothe themselves. The priest cannot put on his own garments. They can't concoct their own mechanism, their own way, come up with their own garments. They can't cleanse themselves. They can't cleanse themselves enough. They can't make themselves holy and weighty and glorious and beautiful. Only God can. And only God does. They must enter by the covering that God provides, by the garments God provides. There is no other way. Any other way leads to death. Any other way outside of the garments that God provides, any other way outside of the clothing that he provides leads to death. Any other way is an attempt to get into the Holy of Holies before the throne of God where you will be crushed because you are not covered by the covering he provides and all of this is an echo of Eden and a foreshadowing of our great high priest Jesus. 
How's it an echo of Eden? We've already kind of mentioned it, but in, in, in Eden, after the fall, what's the first thing Adam and Eve do? They cover themselves with fig leaves. They try to concoct some flimsy covering before the all-seeing eye of God. They, they try to cover themselves, and it's worthless, and it's flimsy, and it must be replaced by only the garments that God can provide. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21, what does he do? He sacrifices an animal and he covers them in animal skins. He graciously, rather than crush them and destroy them and cast them out, he covers them graciously and caringly with the garments he provides before they're sent out of the Garden of Eden. And what are we receiving here? But we're receiving... An echo of that, that the high priest receives a covering that only God provides, that the, the people are invited from the east where they were cast back into the garden because their names are on the, the priest's shoulders and on the, the, the priest's heart, and he's carrying them back into the presence of God. But all of this is pointing us to a greater high priest. All of this is pointing us to our great high priest, Jesus what, is the, what do the scriptures tell us? That he is the only way, truth, and life, that we may enter into the presence of God. How does he come? We know in scripture, Isaiah 53, 2 says that he does not come in splendor and majesty and glory. In fact, he, he comes with nothing attractive about him. If we were to walk in the room, we would not naturally be drawn to him and gravitate to him. Isaiah 53, 2. But what do we know? What do we know from the New Testament? What do we know that is true in reality, whether he comes in, in, in rags or not? We know that he is truly covered in the glory and the splendor and the beauty and the majesty of God. When Jesus, before his disciples, pulls the curtain back just a little bit on who he really is, on the Mount of Transfiguration, when he's transfigured before them, it says that he is transfigured into to clothing, into garments, into light that's so blinding they can't even look at it. He is truly clothed as God is clothed in glorious splendor, majesty, and light. And though he comes dressed in garments that may not attract us, though he comes with nothing that might attract us to him, we know that he is the truly holy, glorious, and beautiful one. Like Aaron who comes from, and the, and the priests come from the people of Israel, that's what it says in, in 28.1, draw them out from the people of Israel. Our high priest is from us, able to identify with our weaknesses and our sins and our flaws and our failures. And yet, Hebrews 7.28, other verses in Hebrews tell us he is perfect and flawless and sinless. And because he's able to sympathize and empathize with us, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 1 says, he is a great high priest that knows how to care gently with us. He knows how to lift us up. And what does he do? Carry us close to his heart. Carry us on his shoulder. This is what it says in Isaiah 53, that he carries our iniquities and carries our wounds and carries our burdens and our sorrows and our griefs. He carries them. And how does he carry them before the throne of God? How does he carry you and I before the throne of God? Not engraved on stones on his shoulders, not engraved on stones on his chest. But Isaiah 49, 15 to 16 says, engraved on the palms of his hand. In Isaiah 49, 
God asks a profound question. Can a woman forget her nursing child? The answer is obviously yes. It happens all the time. I read a story, tragic story this last week of a woman leaving her car in this sweltering heat, leaving her child, and the child died. It is possible for a woman to, to forget her nursing child Though she may, I will never forget you. And why? Behold, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your name is not engraved on precious stones. Your name is engraved on the precious palms of Jesus if you are in Christ Jesus. And what does he do with your name engraved on his his palms? He goes before the throne of God where he lives to intercede for you where he brings your name before God and says, this one is yours. This one, my blood covered this one. This one is your son and your daughter. Neil is your son. He is the child who you rescued. He's the one you entered into covenant with through my blood, through my sacrifice. Your name, do you hear that? Your name is on the ears of God the Father. On the mind of God, on the eyes of God, on the lips of God, on the lips of your Savior, your name is before God above. That changes everything, church. What do you have to fear? What do you have to worry about? When you sin, there is truly no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because your Savior is pronouncing your name before God. Do not pour out your holy wrath, though you're justified to do so. Instead, pour out your wrath on me and pour out your grace on them. This is extraordinary. Romans 8, 34, Jesus is at the right hand of God interceding for us. 1 John 2, 1, in Jesus, the righteous one, we have an advocate with the Father. Hebrews 7, 25, he lives to make intercession for us. And how does Jesus do this? How does Jesus accomplish this? How does Jesus achieve this? Through a great exchange. When we look to the cross, what do we see? We see the king of glory. We just see the savior of the world who is the true king of the universe who deserves all the righteous robes in the world. And what does he do? He allows them to be ripped from him, stripped from him, and torn and divided. And why? So that you and I could be clothed in his righteousness. Isaiah chapter 61. Isaiah is is recounting He's foreseeing and and being told and and prophesying about a day when the Messiah would come, when the anointed one would come. And on that day, he would preach truth, proclaim the gospel, and people would rejoice. And what does Isaiah recount that the people are rejoicing? Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me. And how? He has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robes of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress. And what's on that headdress? The name of Yahweh. 
God has put his name on me. I'm marked and set apart unto him for his purposes. And this is glorious because I don't deserve an ounce. What can I bring? All I can bring is filthy rags. And yet by his grace, he gives me robes of righteousness and garments of salvation. And, and, And he decks me as a bride, adorns herself with jewels, with rare, precious Garden of Eden gemstones. In Jesus, we're wrapped in the royal robes of his righteousness. We're clothed. We who, the Bible says, are, are covered in, in sin and, and, and unclean and sinful rags, we, those are wiped clean. And we are given new robes of righteousness. We're given the family robe put on our shoulders. And unlike the garments of skin that Adam and Eve came up with, and even unlike these high priestly royal garments that are full of holiness and glory and splendor and beauty, The robes that Jesus gives will never wear out. They will never end. They will never be dirty. They will never tear. This is what the scriptures tell us, that we receive imperishable clothes, imperishable garments, new bodies. And in in Revelation we learn that we're covered in white, pure, and spotless robes that will never wear out and never fade. And what's more... Not only do we get the robes of righteousness, Jesus' robes of righteousness, because of the great exchange, because of his work on my behalf, Revelation chapter 3, Revelation chapter 14, Revelation chapter 22 tell us that in that day, we will, those who are in Christ will stand before God and we'll have a new name written on our foreheads. It's the name of Jesus, which is the only name that we can, by which we can stand before a holy God. Do you hear it? Do you hear the question of the text? What garments are you trying to put on before God? What garments are you trying to clothe yourself with? By what means are you trying to enter into the holy of holies? Your garments of moral performance? Your Bible reading plan this year? What you've achieved, your attendance at church, your giving, your going, your serving, all of these things are wonderful and beautiful, but they are filthy rags and will not allow us and enable us to enter in to the Holy of Holies before the presence of God. They're intended to be byproducts of the royal robe that we're given in Jesus. Does God know your name this morning? Because it's written on the palms of Jesus' hand. More importantly, are you marked by the name of Jesus? Is Jesus' name across your forehead? Do you smell like Jesus, look like Jesus, sound like Jesus, reflect Jesus in the world? If you are in Christ, that should be your name and now your nature and your character in ever-increasing incremental growth. Is that true of you and I? If so, if we've clung to Jesus, if we've clung to his work on our behalf, the great exchange, what he does in entering into the Holy of Holies on our behalf, if if he has put on us his royal robes of righteousness, if we're marked by his name, then church, we need to hear some profound good news. Brothers and sisters, 
His name is on you. Your name is before him. You are now, you now have his royal robes on you, which means you can now enter in just as the high priest can before the throne of God. You can now enter just as the high priest did. Boldly, it says in the scriptures, confidently, without doubt, without worry. Why? Because of what you did? Because of your garments? No, because of the garments of Jesus. Our sins have been carried away. We've been made holy to the Lord. We now have a great high priest interceding on our behalf. Right now, as you are are tempted by sin, as you fail, as you grow from temptation, you have a great high priest standing before God, interceding on your behalf bringing your name before God and bringing God's holiness and grace to you as your mediator. The scriptures go further. If we've been marked by Christ, if we've been transformed by him, if we've put on the royal robes of his righteousness, 1 Peter 2.9 says that then we now are a royal priesthood. Hear that. Royal priesthood. You now have his garments on. You are marked out as royal and you now must operate and function uniquely and distinctly carrying the royal priesthood of Christ. Now you act as a royal priest in this world. Now you are marked by and should be marked by and distinct by your actions because of what Christ has done. It means now we bear the burdens as our high priest did. We can't bear the sin away as he can, but we can bear the burdens away of others. We, we can step into others' burdens. Some of those are physical, and we can help move those physical burdens along, lift them off our brothers and sisters, carry them along. We can also bear the burdens by interceding on behalf, by bringing their name and their burdens before the throne of God, and then bringing the word of God and the good news of the gospel back before them. That's intercession. That's bearing one another's burdens. It's stepping into the the needs and the hurts and the longings and reminding our brothers and sisters when they don't believe it and they don't feel like it, your name is before the throne. It's engraved on the palm of his hands. His name is on your, your name is on his lips. This is glorious good news. Jesus is our great high priest. We can only enter the presence of God if we're clothed in his righteousness. And if we're clothed in his righteousness, then we've been marked and set apart and made distinct and expect to live differently as a result. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, man, thank you so much for your word. That you, just before the foundations of the world, were planning to work and write this text and through this text to communicate something so profound to Israel and then through it to point all of us to Jesus. It's just mind-boggling. The detail and the intricacy and the message that you were communicating, what you achieved through the garments and what you're, you're trying to communicate to us about the garments of Christ, about the robes of righteousness that were offered in Jesus. May we be floored by this. 
May we be moved and melted by your love and by your grace that you should have poured out your holy wrath, but instead you poured it out on Jesus. And by grace, you pour out his righteousness and his grace on us. Thank you for our great high priest who lives to intercede for us, who brings our name before the throne of God. Thank you for our great high priest who who engraved our names in the palm of his hand. May we be changed and transformed by the preaching and teaching of your word. Holy Spirit, move this word down past our heads, into our hearts, and out to our hands. Change us. May we be different as a result of the hearing and the doing of your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.